There's an old joke about a, a guy that has given a priest a hard time about his 10-minute his homilies and why it takes him, you know, 20 hours that week to put together these 10 minutes. And he said, well, if I, if I only took about four hours, you'd get a 45-minute homily every, every Sunday. So uh, just to warn you, uh, I haven't had a whole lot of time to prepare, but we're going to keep it probably a little bit shorter this morning as we finish up the book of Habakkuk. Uh, we've been studying this since uh, the fall, and uh, not the fall of humanity into sin, although it might feel like that. <laughs> That's a great reform joke. You'll, you'll get it later if you don't understand it. Um, but the, you know, the, 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 con- the, the entire concept of this book is an examination of what does it look like to wrestle with God? What does it look like to live in a broken and fallen world and to ask God those difficult and honest questions that so often we are intimidated to ask, or or too intimidated to ask. Uh, Maybe somebody else has has said, we don't don't ask those kinds of questions here to you. Um, Maybe you've just kind of been told to to stuff your feelings in a sack and never talk about them with anybody. Um, But but this is God's word to us. It's really God's gift to us. How do we go to God knowing that the world is not the way that he initially created it to be. You know, looking at the brokenness and fallenness of the world. And so, I'd invite you to turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3. If you have a pew Bible, this is going to be on page 935. We are going to read just the last three verses, uh, 17 through 19. And would you stand with me as I read God's word this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We ask that that right now that you would open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, that that we would see you here, that you would speak to us, and that you might change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Habakkuk rejoices in the Lord. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places, to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is God's inspired word. Please be seated. I'll just warn you, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that last phrase. Uh, It just means this was part of a song, okay? Uh, We don't know the the music that went to it, so we're not going to sing this song of Habakkuk. But, But once again, this is a song that explores the realities of life. You know, it really looks honest, true life right in the face. And what we see at the end is rejoicing in God's strength and salvation. Now, you might be familiar with the medical term failure to thrive. Now, this is a, a designation that's given when a child is not growing as they should. And so, uh, uh, you know, there's... there's there's a problem here. 
it could be a psychological issue, it could be a social issue, it could be a, an economic issue, something with the family. And the cure for this failure, failure to thrive is actually pretty simple. It's that to grow, a child needs nourishment. But it's not always just a matter of consuming more calories. You know, the prescription isn't, well, swing by the McDonald's drive-thru on the way home and give them a Big Mac, and then they'll be fine. You know, there are some underlying issues that need to be addressed. They need some intervention because something in their world needs to change. And if we could really do a proper examination of, of the, the people of God in the time this book is written, we might give that same diagnosis, failure to thrive. You know, they were not a mighty people, but these were God's chosen people. See, God had delivered them from bondage. He had delivered them from their enemies. He had delivered them into a land. He had, he had hand-delivered them his own word. He had given them prophets and messengers and done signs and wonders for them. And he had, he had called his people to live as shining lights in the world. And, and you know the history of Israel. That's exactly what happened, right? No. Instead, we see over and over again times of blessing and fruitfulness that are almost immediately followed by spiritual amnesia and idolatry. God's people would forget who they belong to, and they would start to adopt those practices of their, their pagan neighbors. They worshiped idols. They committed infidelity against the Lord. And the Lord would remove his blessing, and, and in its place, he would then bring judgment. And so then the people would repent, and then God would relent, and then they would worship God and devote themselves to him once again. And, and then the people, then God would bless them, and then they would relapse back into that sin that they had started. And so the cycle would go on and on and on. You know, life does not always go according to plan. You know, I, I enjoy preaching. I wish more than anything I wasn't standing up here preaching to you this morning. That wasn't my plan as of yesterday at 1 o'clock. I wish I wouldn't have invited Pastor Randy to come and join my crew chipping off ice out front of the parking lot. You know, it's so easy to look at situations and go, why would God allow something to happen? And that's exactly what the Israelites were experiencing here. They're looking out at the world, and, and yeah, they have, they have done some, some bad things, right? And they know that they've done it, and, and, and they always kind of go through, again, this cycle, and they'll, and they'll repent, and, and yet they always know that God's blessed them, and they have this kind of underlying, um, what would we call it? Maybe a superiority complex, a little bit of entitlement there. You know that they know I'm God's chosen people, And yet when they see what's happening around them, they look out into this geopolitical world where there are ferocious nations just devouring up smaller people left and right. And they're closing in on them. And they've got no respect for human life and they have no fear of God or his divine judgment. And then they become desperate and, and they, they're crying out to God, God, why aren't you judging those people? For their many sins. Why won't you allow the wicked to suffer if you won't let us suffer? 
So they wanted God to, to come and to, to judge and to punish sin in the world. But, but you remember where God's judgment always starts, right? Where does it always start? It always starts at home. It, it, it's, it's like a good parent who disciplines his own child more than the neighbor child who just happens to be wandering through the kitchen at that moment, right? And, and why is it? Is it because they're cruel and vindictive and they just don't care about their own flesh and blood? Well, no. You know, I, I was a youth pastor for 13 years. I'll tell you this, I was a lot easier on your kids than I have ever been on my own. And why is that? Here's the truth. I love my kids more. I love them in a different way. I, I want the absolute very best for them and I can see when they start to make mistakes and I can see when they need a little correction and discipline. I want them to avoid further and future pain. And so I do what I think is necessary. You know, a mother doesn't stop and think about how she sounds to outsiders when her toddler runs out into oncoming traffic, does she? Though she races over, she screams and she shouts and she even violently yanks the child out of the way. Is it because she doesn't love that child? It's because she desperately loves it. And even here, that's what love does. Even here we see as the Lord brings discipline on his people, he does so because he desperately loves them. And, and, and we've got to be careful though. Okay, and, and this is the mistake that we can easily make. You know, all of our suffering, all of, our, all of the suffering in our human experience is the result of the fall, the effects of sin in this broken world. But, but not all of our suffering is due to our own sin, is it? You know, so often we are dealing with the sin of the world or we're dealing with the sin of those around us. You know, God is, is not the God of karma. He, he's not the God that... That, you know, when we do something good, he will just bless us. And when we do something bad, he immediately curses us. You know, he's not the, the vending machine God that you just, okay, I want this. And so I'll do those good things to get that thing. And then once I'm done, I, I won't, I'll kind of forget about it. You know, my, my sophomore year in college, uh, one very early morning, a, a friend came and kind of barged into my, into my dorm room. Um, I was asleep. He had had a little bit too much to drink. And he decided right then and there that he needed to come and pour his heart out to me and, and talk about all the terrible things that were happening in his life. I don't know if you've had a conversation like this before or not. Uh, it's a little challenging, let's just say. And so we, we, we started talking about the role that God was playing in this. And this is what he told me. He said, you know, when I think about God, all I envision is, is that, that old, white-haired, white-bearded man that's kind of sitting up on a cloud and he's got this big stick and every time I do something bad, he just smacks me and says, stop it. What a sad way to think about the God who loves you, right? The God who cares about you. And when we talk about God as our father, we do so carefully because we know there are so many people who have had experiences with abusive or absent fathers. That as they think about a father, they can only think about the one that they had and not about who God truly is. And the Bible tells us that for all who belong to him, they have the privilege of knowing God, not just as a creator, 
but as a father, as a father like we've never, ever seen. This is a father that, that, he's not just the dad that can beat up your friend's dad, right? This is the dad who has all strength. This is the dad who has all wisdom, not just about how to fix your car. This is the dad who has all love and all truth, and he is always perfect in his goodness. He has always been good, and here's the thing, he can never not be good. That's just who he is. That is his character. And that's one of those big questions that we so often wrestle with. We look at the world, we see problem after problem and war and injustice and disease and death and natural disasters. And oh, remember, it's a political election year too, right? Like last time that went really well for us as a nation. And we look at all these things and we go, God has to be one thing or the other. See, he can't be both good and strong, right? Because if he was both, if he was good and he was great, the world would look a whole lot different than it does. But because of the things that have happened to me, because of the things that have happened to my friends, because of the things that are happening right now in our world, God either must not be strong enough or he must not be good enough. I think that's the tendency that we all have to think. Talk to so many people who wrestle with this question of God's goodness. Habakkuk does it here too. Is God still good? The problem with that, with that question, the problem really is with us, right? Is that our vision is so limited to what we can see right before us. We just get this tiny speck of this tapestry that we call life. See, we, we can't see what God is working and weaving into every area. What he's bringing even in the midst of the barren vine and that empty stable that, that God is both still strong and he is still good. And he loves us and he longs for us to be with him. And we sat in the hospital yesterday after we knew that everything was going to be okay. After the doctor came out and gave us his report and, and told us, hey, I'll be home in two days. We thought, oh, wow. But then we started to ask those what if questions, right? Like, what if I hadn't invited Randy to come with me and join us on this? But then it became, well, what if this happened when he was at the gym and not three minutes away from the hospital? What if when he was slouched over in his office, I didn't answer my phone outside when he was calling me because I couldn't feel it ringing? You know, what if Greg would have stopped at all the red lights on the way to the hospital instead of flying through as if, you know, a man possessed? What if, what if, what if? What if his cardiologist didn't happen to be the one on call? What if they weren't waiting for him at the, in the waiting room? It's, it's kind of crazy. I don't think he's here this morning. Bill Collins is not here, right? You know, uh, he, shared, he shared his experience with, with cardiac arrest uh, a couple weeks ago at Prime Timers. And next time you see him, you'll have to ask him. Uh, you'll, you'll have to give him time to tell the whole story uh, because it takes a while. And it's, as Bill tells it, very funny. Um, but, you know, when, when he was finished telling his story about what he'd experienced, Randy leaned over to me and said, hey, we got to get Bill to tell that story. 
Now I'm thinking, okay, we got to get you to tell your story. See, in the midst of all of this brokenness, we can be confident that God is still at work. And we can't always see it like we did yesterday. There's often times when we just have to trust that God knows what he's doing and to rejoice as we remember his character and his promises and how he has acted in the past. We have to have faith, which is a a belief, a trust in what we can't see. Our family over the last three plus years has been dealing with what we've kind of termed a failed adoption. It's, It's been this incredibly painful experience for us. It's affected all of us in in different ways. And it's really difficult to see how God's working in this. You know, what might God actually be doing with with something that isn't turning out the way that we want to? And and yet, through this, we've we've had to place our hope and trust that, that God might be using this somehow. What we do know is that there's a little girl who's received more love and gifts and medical attention and prayers than she ever would have gotten if it wasn't for our involvement in her life these last few years. We're clinging to the hope that that God has placed her on our hearts for a purpose and that that he not only is the God of our salvation, but that he would be the God of, of her salvation. We place our hope in the fact that even though the country that she lives in is one of the most closed to Christianity in the world, it's also the home of one of the most thriving churches around the globe. We even heard the story of a child who came home from this country and and was secretly being given Bible study lessons by the, the woman who worked in his orphanage. By somebody who loved Jesus. So we hope and we pray that God is doing the same thing for her. See, the Lord, Habakkuk says it so confidently, the Lord is our salvation. He saves us from our enemies. He saves us from the world. He saves us from our circumstances. And he saves us from ourselves, from our sin. See, Romans 5, 6 says it this way. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, Christ didn't die for the good and the strong. He died for the wicked and the weak. And that is who we are. That's where we live. See, we are fallen, broken people. We are frail, but he is strong and he is good. At the right time, Jesus died for us. See, that right time was a time that Habakkuk was looking forward to with expectation and hope. And it is a time that we are blessed to look back on in wonder and in faith. In Galatians 4, 4 through 7, Paul puts it like this. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. 
See, when that time was full, when that, when that fruit was ripe and ready, God sent his own son. God became man. The maker of the law placed himself under the law to redeem those who failed to live up to the law so that he could adopt them into his family, that they could call their maker their father, and he could love them as his sons and his daughters. See, because of what Jesus did for us, he is now our strength. We are weak, but he is strong. He strengthens our feet when we grow weary. He lifts us up when we're low. He sets us upon the solid ground, for he is the rock himself of our salvation now and forever. As we think of what he has done, let us rejoice in who he is, for what he has done, and for all that he will do. Won't you pray with me? Gracious Father, you are great, and you are good. We come to you humbly today. We're thinking and reflecting upon ourselves knowing how much we don't deserve this table that you have laid before us, this gift of your son, of, of his flesh and of his blood that, that we now get to feast on as a gift as we remember that you have cleansed us from all sin. We thank you for the gift of yourself. We thank you for the reminders of who you are and we ask, Lord, that you would fill us with hope and expectation and that you would strengthen our weary hands. We pray this in Jesus' name.